Hey, Whiskey Ringers. I am thrilled to welcome back Impex Beverages as the Whiskey Ring Podcast presenting sponsor. Each month, we'll be talking about a new set of single casks, maybe feature a chosen distillery or a single cask from a chosen distillery. Listen for the mid-roll for more info on this month's offerings. And now, a brand new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Today, which I think might be episode 80, if I have counted correct, maybe 79. We'll see afterwards. We're going to a country we have never visited before on the Whiskey Ring Podcast, but I've been become very interested in in a short period of time. We're going to be visiting Finland. We're talking with, I hope I get this right, Ansi Buzin of Dead and Belly Whiskey. And Dan and Belly Distilling, I should say, in Finland. Welcome. Yeah, thank you, thank you. It's it's nice talking to you. And yeah, the name went pretty well. It was it was also almost spot on. <laughs> I'll I'll take it. It's uh, it's a it's literally a new language to me, so I will <laughs> I will take it. It's understandable. Don't worry about that. It's so it's really understandable. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Auntie has been uh, quite generous already in terms of allowing me the pronunciations and uh, give me a little leeway if I'm a little off sometimes. So thank you in advance for that. Um, so as I said, this is the first time we're visiting Finland. We've gone a little bit to Northern Europe, Scandinavia, to Germany, but um, Finland is it's brand new uh, and in many ways. So um, let's really start with uh, what we don't always get to talk about on this podcast, the founding story, the origin story for Tedempelli. The founding story. Hmm. Uh, first of all, I must say that uh, there's been there has been a lot of years, almost thirty years that we have been, uh, or I have been a company owner with my wife, and uh, and we have been with distilling whiskey more than twenty years now. So uh, over that time, there has been many stories that have been building up. But uh, I guess one of the founding stories that I have never told anybody is that. Uh, I uh, remember uh, before actually uh, buying the distillers themselves. Uh, I had a uh, I had a, a big meeting with the with the bank officer over here or the bank manager over here, and uh, I was convincing him that uh, making whiskey in Finland is a wise idea. And uh, the the, uh, <laughs> the thing is that he was uh, he was able to he he was promising me for the money that I needed for the investment. And I remember I was driving home and, I, and from that drive, I called my wife and said that, uh, you know, now this distillery, distillery is going to happen. And, uh, and she was asking me that, oh, I knew that one already one year ago that you were going to do it. So that is something that I had never told to anybody, but it's really a, maybe it's a, maybe it's a promising thing uh, about uh, or it's telling something about family-owned company, which we are, of course, are, and uh, and uh, our background story is uh, basically coming from the coming from the our own family, our uh, our restaurants that are able to uh, sell our whiskey, and and uh, of course we have a lot of local things over here. We have really good water, we have really good barley, and uh, and then we have really the enthusiasm of the people who work behind the whiskey so uh, at least there's something what I 
what I enjoy to tell about or what I would like to say about the, of the background. Fantastic. And as you mentioned, you started as a, a restaurant and then a brewery. That's correct. Uh, yeah. So when and uh, why did the change go to a distillery? Um, well, over here, um, we are living in an area where it's really a, a lot of uh, barley fields, and then there's malting plant here, a, a quite big uh, northern European malting plant called Viking malt. It's over here. So it was like, um, and, and there was uh, booming uh, small brewers uh, were coming along, and, and in my mind, I just came up uh, or I had an idea that what else we can do with uh, except the beer and what would be the next step to go to and a pretty easy answer was let's go into the malt whiskey and uh, that was a thing that I then I was really interested into it and I went to uh, take a look from Scotland how they do over there and uh, and, and learn some things and, and also noticed that uh, actually the beer making is even difficult at least in the beginning that it, it is making the malt whiskey. So I was uh, kind of uh, encouraged, about, or, or courage, I, was, I got encouraged that this would be really a thing that we can do over here in Finland, even though we also must remember that Finland has always been and actually still is quite of a vodka drinking country. Mm. So we were doing something really totally different and, and starting a line of production over here with whiskey that uh, no one really had done it earlier. So we were, we were the very first ones over here, over here doing that. And uh, we were chatting a little bit about this before recording, but as you said, Finland, more of a vodka drinking country. There are a couple of misconceptions. I just wanted to take a little time to clear up about what, what and where Finland is. Which sounds really dumb as I say it because it's like, of course, you look on a map, you can see where Finland is. But um, it's sometimes lumped in with the Baltic nations being on the Baltic Sea, sometimes mistakenly lumped in as Scandinavian. But the culture is more, as I understand it, uh, closer to the, the Western, Western Russia, Northern Germany. Um, you know, it's not the same mythology as as scandinavia as the viking mythology it's a different language entirely so just putting that out there and i actually do want to do a shout out quickly to dan cummins in his time suck podcast who's a inspiration of mine because i've learned about a little bit more about finland in his deep dive into uh simo hauha oh, okay yeah so, um, and God, I hope I got that one right. But, um, you know, just explaining a little bit more about how Finland is not, you know, it's not Viking. It's not the same thing. It's a little yeah. different. So, and that goes into it being more of a vodka drinking country as opposed to, I don't know, meat, schnapps, gin. It's, it's a different culture. So, um so what does the Finnish drinking culture look like, um, including it being more of a vodka drinking country? I guess if I uh, 
when we go into let's let's talk a little bit about the drinking habits we have over here. First of all, I have to uh, mention uh, a beer like drink, which is uh, really an, an or I would say an origin of of beer. It's called sahti over here, and it's like uh, agent. Uh, a lot of like beer like drink what they have done over here so that was like really a strong sahti is meaning that it's fermented like top east beer really really uh heavy on alcohol but it's also very warming on winter winter evenings over here so and that was invented some hundreds of years ago but of course later on we had a lot of cultures coming over here we were we were among or we were with Swedes for a while, and then the Russians came over and they took over, and uh, and now we have been we have been independent hundred years, a little bit more than hundred years now. So uh, uh, we have been always under some other guys, except the last hundred years. And uh, I guess we had the prohibition. We had all these things. Uh, what also Americans had, and after the prohibition. Uh, our alcohol culture was really government hold in every aspect and pretty much uh, the cheapest alcohol you you were able to get was the vodka-like drinks. And then, of course, we had some beers again made, but that was like a brewery-made beer. So we really never had chance to in uh, learn anything about, like, let's say, good wines or good whiskeys or other things. It's like an... Uh, uh, and also, of course, the alcohol is very highly taxed over here. So the tax is also something that's really uh, making the drink very expensive. And it's, this is also the reason that uh, we usually drink more uh, strong alcohol. And, and the reason to drink is not really the taste. It's maybe maybe even to get drunk. So mm. that's the, that's I guess this is a little bit something about the basic lines, what we have. But... All of these luckily are past and uh, something new is coming along or has come along now and, and, and we are going into better direction at the moment or have been going already at least for 30, 40 years. So it's, it things are getting better. Uh, by and, getting and, better, do you yeah. yeah, just what do you mean by getting better? I'm just curious. Yeah, getting better in, in a way that there's uh, other types of drinks are more available. Uh, also more affordable and uh, of course people are getting maybe more wealthier so they have money to buy other drinks and other type of uh, drinking cultures are flowing in smoothly and uh, like like us we have been making beer almost 30 years and then making whiskey for for more than 20 years now so it's like an evidence of that that people are really getting a open-minded into other types of drinking cultures also so it's a it's a it's a good thing and, uh, this is what i mean by that but maybe maybe one more thing about where we are at so this is also one thing that i uh, as we all know the situation in the in the europe at the moment so we also have uh, uh, 1000 kilometers uh, borderline with russians so it's like in uh, we are in a positioning that it's like uh, also really stressful place to live in, at least and especially at the moment. But luckily, we are also almost NATO members, so uh, it will take some more time. But uh, but uh, we are we are uh, 
getting like um, our how would I say now that our background is or our mm, what is the word? Maybe you can maybe you can cut here, but what is the what is the word for it <laughs> anyway? Oh, um, the uh, kind of getting the paperwork together. Yeah, the paperwork is getting together. Yeah, that's right. And and yeah. and, the, and we have the better armed forces forces behind us, and we are ready to hold on the border if something happens. Luckily, nothing has happened over here at the moment, but. But the, the true thing is that we have a lot of borderline with the Russians, and uh, I guess it's not the best possible positioning. But, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe I maybe I did answer your question. I, I'm not sure, but uh, maybe <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> yes, absolutely, and uh, yes, I, I think that is an unavoidable thing to to mention that you have pretty much. I think the the second longest contiguous border with Russia. I have to double check that. I think that's correct. But uh, um, either way, a thousand kilometers is nothing small for sure. And uh, while, you know, while we stay away normally from politics on the, on the podcast, I do very much hope that the NATO membership goes through. We welcome you certainly. And uh, I, kind of doubt that i've got listeners who would disagree with me if i've got a couple of russian listeners sorry um but i'll i'll end the politic part there um yeah, yeah we can skip politics on that one we can leave it on exactly that. That's fine. exactly so with with the i want to obviously spend time on on the products as, as well and the whiskeys that you're putting out um but it, again, because it's the first time we're talking about Finland and, and visiting there, there's so many questions that I have just about the country and about the history of alcohol there. And um, with the the state-run monopoly that you've had since prohibition ended in uh, in 32 for Finland, yeah. uh, and adding that to the kind of core vodka drinking culture that might be changing now, but has kind of held for, let's say, nearly a century. Um, what has that meant for distilleries trying to get up and running that are creating whiskey or other spirits other than vodka? Like, has it has it really stopped or held back that development over the years? Mm. I do think that it has held back, uh, but um, at least if I if I compare uh, us into some other uh, European countries that don't have this uh, government-owned uh, monopoly over here, so it has it has held back. But even even it is, uh, or even the, all the licensing and all the uh, retailing of alcohol is handled with the with the. Uh, uh, with uh, alcohol, that's that's what the company is called. Uh, so uh, still, there's uh, there has been some other distillers beside us that have have born, and we have some gin makers, uh, um, also some vodka makers, but mainly it's gin and 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 whiskey. What people are making here, or the, or the small newcomers, I would say, are making. Um, so and this development has been going on, I'd say, past ten years now. 
And when I'm saying that we have, we started 20 years ago, I'm also meaning that we were pretty much pioneers over here because we did show a little bit of the way that it's it's doable. And even though if you are in a, in a bad positioning in a way, but you, there's there's laws and there's a possibilities that that allow you to to put up your own uh, distillery and put up your own brewery also. Uh, the only difficult thing that comes on, along is that uh, we have pretty strict uh, marketing uh, restrictions over here. So uh, uh, it's like uh, it's like what I always say that it's, you can make the alcohol. That's okay. You can get the license to make the alcohol, but you cannot tell anybody about that. So it's like uh, it's really difficult to sell it then. And uh, so, but, but anyway, uh, um. It's doable, and and other companies has done it also, and other companies has have uh, probably been uh, looking up us how we are doing, and and once they see that there's one who is successful, maybe they get get also uh, more trustful and and start doing their own business as well. So so uh, and and I also must say that. Uh, Maybe it's even the, the, the more problematic is the marketing, strict marketing laws than the actual uh, monopoly itself, I would say. If I have to balance these two things, I would balance it that way. Right. And uh, just to confirm, the mark, the, uh, sorry, the monopoly is not just in terms of who can sell it, but uh, Alco and the versions that preceded it also produce. Um, is that correct? That's that's correct. Yeah, that's that's a bit different uh, compared to, uh, well, not not really different, but uh, but yeah, they have been also producing it, and so they had a really uh, the monopoly itself was very very strong because they had the production, the import importing, and they were in production, and they had everything sort of lined up. So uh, all the customers who all the customers inside Finland have been always like. All the, the alcohol, what they have been drinking, has been maintained and governed by somebody else. So there's like really not free and busy uh, anyway over there. So, um, but something came along, and that was when we joined into EU, and that was 19, uh, uh, was it 1997 or 98 or something like that? Or well, anyway, there. So we, we joined EU. And uh, when we joined EU, they had to uh, take out the part of the law that said that uh, also the manufacturing and distilling alcohol is uh, maintained by the government. So once this was removed from the law, it enabled uh, companies to come along and, and start out making whiskey, making beer, making gin, but again, you were not allowed to tell anybody about it. Right. right. And so you mentioned earlier that when you were early on, when you were when you were thinking about creating the distillery or moving to a distillery from a brewery, you visited Scotland. Uh, since you're effectively coming from a, a culture, a history that does not have much of a whiskey history. Um what and where did you look for inspiration as to what you wanted to create? 
Oh. I must say that I had a really, uh, my first trip to Scotland to Edinburgh was really uh, opening, eyes opening trip because first of all, I had an, for some reason, it was just a pure luck, but there was a really nice person in the, in the hotel bar where I was staying at. And I was in a hotel bar and I, of course, over the daytime, I went to visit people and I went to the museums and went to visit distilleries. And then I always evening ended up being in the hotel bar. And there was this really good bartender over there. And he was uh, giving me really good uh, uh, like uh, tastings. Uh, he, was, he was pouring me the favorite whiskeys, but what he had. <laughs> and he was suggesting me a lot of drinks. And I, I tasted a lot of them. And I was like going like, wow, what amazing thing. And, and these are really good. And then there was one particular brand, uh, which uh, sort of like... Uh, ha ha it still is one of my favorite ones, and it's Highland Park. It's uh, mm -hmm. something that I really enjoy. Uh, I have enjoyed it for for from the from the very very first trip that I made to uh, Scotland. From that on, Highland Park has been one of my favorites, or maybe the best one of all. And uh, okay, the inspiration from there on came so that I met all the manufacturing people of uh, distilleries, so that the, the ones that make the whiskeys or the, the, the stills themselves. And uh, that was really, a, those meetings were very interesting. And I was like uh, talking with them at how, how does the taste effect. And they were actually asking me this way, that what would be the whiskey? What would be the best whiskey you would like to make out of it? And I was going, well, first thing came to my mind was, well, I do enjoy Highland Park pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, now that I'm saying this, I'm not trying to say that we are making making uh, we are making Terempeli. We are making uh, exactly Terempeli whiskeys, but but this was maybe the inspiration when what you were asking. So that this brand was the one, and uh, mm, I must say that uh, uh, in Foresight, the company that made the stills for us, uh, they were really professional and, and helpful for, uh, and they really understood what was the what was the game, what I wanted, and. Uh, what we did in the very beginning also was that we uh, we started the, we had a brewery and uh, we were asking for really very very small on size uh, pot stills and uh, the the sites they said that they have never done so small so they were the smallest ones they ever did and we were the lucky ones who were the ones who bought the first really a uh, small scale. Uh, uh, Stillery uh, from from Foresights, and later on I found out that they actually did sell quite many of those, uh, pretty much the same size what we had, and uh, and, uh, and we were a lot of like the, the pioneers on that one as well. Of course, it's fine and it's like really really a good thing, but the but the the, the and the basic idea of what we had and the reason why we did buy that small stills were really we could not fit in any any bigger because the place where where I had or where I wanted to put it in, it was so uh, tiny and small. So we had to fit the stills into that place, and there was no other uh, possibility. And uh, and we did also one other thing what we did in the very early stage was that we joined uh, the beer making with the whiskey making. So we made the whiskey worth in the same. Uh, 
uh, mashing and same uh, kettles what we what we used for beer making. So that was also something uh, that we mixed up these processes, uh, these two different processes in in, in the same uh, equipment. So that was also something something of an innovation type of innovation type of thing would be did. So for you, the uh, the beer that you sell uh, in the brewery is then the same beer that is distilled to make the whiskey. And uh, no, no, we we do you. Um, it's the equipment we have the same brew oh, house. The same. Okay, yeah, gotcha. the same brew house makes the the whiskey worth and it makes the, the beer worth. So both done in the same brew house. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I, I asked only for clarification because I know there are uh, a couple of companies that make kind of a, not kind of, they make a, a drinkable, delicious beer and sell that. And then that same beer is just is distilled, but it's pretty rare because usually the distiller's beer is kind of, it's all right. It's not the stuff that you necessarily want to drink. You want it to, you want to distill it. So um just wanted to make sure on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Those, I mean, the equipment was the one that we used, but of course the the molds and everything would be used for whiskey was different than what we used for beer. So, uh, so uh, the equipment was the one that we used for both. And uh, mm, this was also at least in Scotland they said that uh, they had they had not heard about anybody doing that one before. So that was like. Uh, more than 20 years ago when I was talking with those guys, they said, well, that's a clever idea, at least in their mind. <laughs> because, again, coming from Finland with no background of making whiskey, so I was able to say, well, let's do it that way. And, uh, at least uh, let's try it that way. And uh, it ended up being a good whiskey. Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, you're, you have a lot of uh, latitude in how you can create something because there's just so little if any history you you can create that history you're not uh changed to any of it like some of the newest distilleries that are popping up in scotland can be completely different than what we think of as scotch whiskey generally and and yet they will inevitably be compared to other scotch whiskeys because of that history but uh can be whatever it wants to be in terms of its whiskey production and tastes and such. Um, there was, Oh, I wanted to, uh, just, uh, to mention, I did not know that Highland park was your, uh, your, your favorite or one of your favorites. It's also happens to be mine. Okay. That's um, good. <laughs> it's, it's how I got into Pete. It's how I got into smoke. I just love, it's probably the second or third highest volume or number of bottles that I've got on my shelves is Highland Park products. Love them. Uh, uh, that being said, I mean, I got I've gotten to taste uh, two whiskeys from uh, Dan Pelly, the Kaski, yes, and uh, Porti. Yes, yes, good. Um, thank you. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, granted, not all of Highland Park is in Port or Sherry, but. Um, I wouldn't necessarily think of them like they didn't remind me of Highland Park malt. So there is, it, it's your favorite, but at least to me, it didn't seem like there was necessarily, like you said, you weren't trying to recreate Highland Park. No, you no, were no. trying to make your own thing. Yeah. I guess 
I would maybe I would say a couple of words on that one. What I what I enjoy uh, and what I was thinking of when we did the Highland Park tastings and when we when I when we did our own uh, uh, Kaski and Porti, as you said, what you have tasted. There's also a little bit of the the uh, the movement in a glass, the, the richness in the taste. Those are the things that I uh, was looking for. And, and those are the same things what we have in Highland Park. And, uh, and, and of course, we are missing with the Kaski and with the Porti. We are missing the, the peat from there. It's not that heavily peated. No way, not even close. But, the, but still, the, uh, I guess the feel of the, the, the whiskey itself and how it moves in the glass and how it's like an, uh, rich in that way, that's something what I've enjoyed. I'm, it, it's like what it looked like. The whiskey looked like maybe more than tasted like, so that was that was something what I enjoyed. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, going into the the products, I mean, you're you're and the process. You mentioned you've got fantastic water and volcanic soil. Uh, you've got barley growing there. Uh, I'm assuming barley and possibly rye. We don't use any rye, but the barley. We use barley. But, but barley. Yeah. Um, so the we've talked with other kind of northern latitude distillers. Uh, very few of any use. They don't use wheat. They don't use corn because it just doesn't grow there. Um, so it makes sense to use the barley. Uh, when when you were creating the things, I'm all about the why and the how things happened. You know, you already had a, a beer profile uh, for the right, brewery yeah. uh, from that came from the barley and that did. I'm trying to figure out how I want to word this. When you were thinking about that, those first runs of whiskey and distilling, um, what what kind of house flavor or what kind of profile were you going for? You know, you said you didn't want to replicate Highland park. It was going to be something its own unique style. Uh, you know, what were you going for and did you achieve it? Well, I must say that uh, when we started out in a very, very beginning, uh, of course we noticed out that our spirit itself was uh, quite good. Uh, we did ex actually send it to evaluation to Scotland, and somebody there uh, uh, also said that uh, it's really a good quality spirit itself. But when we placed it into the casks and left it there to mature, uh, I must say that I was not sure what is coming out. I was I was not sure what is coming out, and uh, I was like in a. Uh, it was like a jump in the darkness or <laughs> whatever way you want to say it, because uh, you don't really know what the climate will do. You don't really know what the cask will do. And then there were so few casks in the beginning that they placed into maturing and into warehouse. So it's like, an, uh, we were really like experimenting the whole way of the first, let's say five, six years before we did, did found out that the, uh, what are the things that actually match up with uh, with our production, our spirit, and all that? So it took a while. It took 
many years. Uh, and of course, maybe be, would have been faster, but then again, uh, I had I had an uh, I had a restaurant business to run, <laughs> I had a brewery to run, so there was like an, uh, quite a bit of work to do there. So I was not able to concentrate 100% on the whiskey. Uh, maybe I should have, but it's it's always easy to say afterwards. Of course, of course. And I mean, this is at a time, it's 20 plus years ago, where uh, whiskey is still you know, just about to start kind of reviving, still not necessarily that popular. It's it just on the cusp of, of exploding again. Yeah. Um, so it's not like there were casks everywhere or things like that. Uh, when you were, when you were uh, playing around at the beginning and there's also a question for, for now, did you, and do you have difficulty getting casks in? Well, in the in the very beginning, yes, there was there was a problem, and uh, I made uh, trips to uh, Scotland quite many times to 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 meet the uh, big cooperage companies over there, and I was always bringing something with me when I came home. I was always able to buy something over there, but but we were such a small player at that time that uh, it was like we were like getting a. I mean, if they were humble enough, they would send something. It was like that type of thing. So it really did, did mean that I had to go there by person and shake some people's hand and then say that, okay, we will take these. And they would send them then. Uh, but that was like the very beginning because, well, I mean, nobody was buying such small amounts because there was no small distilleries. This, this industry did not have, or it was not going on. Of course, later on, uh, when we realized that we have to look more carefully into the uh, casks also that we are actually if we i mean we understood that if we want to go on with bigger volumes we really need to look into the cask programming and we really start thinking more carefully where we're going to get the casks and then we were able to meet up with uh, other companies also uh, mainly spanish and uh, mainly the company because we were looking at uh, companies that make uh, egg sherry casks and all those and uh, so that was like the, and we did, or we were able to find out really a good cooperation company from there. And we are, let's say we are right in the source. We buy it straight from the Cooperage from Spain. And we still do buy straight from uh, companies uh, like, uh, oh, we are getting uh, ex-American casks and we are getting ex uh, uh, of the, this. Scottish ones also, the Scottish Cooperage cask also. So it's like, an, uh, now we have a lot of different sources, but in the beginning, that was not so easy. Sure. Uh, just the, I mean, the six products that you, the six whiskey products that you have out right now, all slightly different. None is using the same exact whiskey, obviously, because they're, they're different products, but they're not all using the same necessarily whiskey profile plus or minus peat plus or minus the cask inside. And just the two that I mentioned, you know, the, the caskey is 100% sherry cask. Yeah. Um, the portie is portwood finished. So each one, each one using different uh, methods to get these kinds of flavors out. Uh, and it's fascinating to hear you were able to take the time 
to kind of figure out which casks worked, you know, even understanding that you had, you know, you were limited at first in terms of what casks you didn't even get just because it was <laughs> difficult to get casks in. But um, I still, you know, people should appreciate the fact that you still took the time to figure out which ones worked and not just throw it in a sherry cask because it worked because it could work but putting it in a sherry cask because it did work so and i like i like when people kind of use that when people let me rephrase them i like when people put in the work in that way yeah 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 we did we did also find out that a little bit you did talk about this the profile of the spirit what we have and uh Later on, we have found out that it also has uh, mm, uh, something often uh, often a spiciness when you when you talk about the spirit itself. Even though, if you we have our ten year old at the moment, uh, what we have been doing bottles, but especially in a ten year old, you you'll still find out that the spiciness of the of the the actual spirit in the beginning is still there, and it's really uh, that's really I'm really happy for it because that is also something that you uh, notice or that is how you if you are doing blind taste you even might might find terribly from the role because of the spiciness of the the early early spirit in there so mm, that is something i i'm very happy about it uh, it comes from the combination of uh, of the of the mold of the the stills themselves and the size and shape of the stills and uh, of course, the cut points as well. All those are the ones that make the the spiciness into the the spirit itself. And I'm happy that we have something that is unique for there that way as well. Worse. And uh, to go, just jump back to the stills quickly. Uh, fourth sites, they're smaller, and um, at the time they were the smallest that fourth sites had created. It was new. So what? I can see a picture of uh, this still in the background for for me, but for for audio listeners, um, what do your stills look like? Um, now, um, the spirit still itself, it's uh, the size of it or how how big it is. It it holds uh, nine hundred liters. That's the spirit still, mm-hmm. and the spirit still, which is of course the one that is really making the difference. It also has a little bit of an. Um, uh, first of all, it's it's not very high. It's quite uh, uh, how do you go now? Well, not high, but uh, uh, low. rounder, or oh, lower. Okay, lower, not not high. It could be. I mean, I've seen quite many of these uh, stills, and, and and mainly they are higher. But uh, this is not high because once again it's also the, the place where we had to put it in. So there was not I was not able to fit in any more any higher in there. The light pipe is uh, pretty uh, well. It's a little bit on a on a, on a, on a slope downhill, but not too much. It's, it's a little bit slope downhill. But I guess one main thing is also that there's like a, a quite big uh, uh, oil lamp in a, oil lamp uh, the, the bowl in there mm-hmm. so that's quite big when you take the whole size of it so the oil lamp is there and it's really an uh, and then uh, also one thing that it makes it uh, as a terempery stills it's like really a terempery fit into it and also there's some other things that are also amazing that what we have is uh, we have also uh, 
because again it's 900 liters so the manhole is not big enough to fit actually the man into it so we have uh, bolted in it uh, and we are able to cut it out from the from the uh, when that then the pipe begins so we're able to cut it out from there and chip that one on, on half if somebody has to go inside i mean well so far nobody has to go <laughs> but if there's something that needs to be taken care of maintained or whatever but this is uh this is a little bit different from the from the uh, stills that are still that are usually normally and uh, and of course the pot still that's that's the thing uh, i do uh i do uh How do you say now? I'm I'm like the I'm I'm a pot stiller <laughs> for the for the uh, and I believe that the best whiskey is made with the pot still. I do believe that one, but uh, I know that there's other people thinking some other way. I mean, I I would never judge someone for I won't judge for using one still type or another. I also happen to like pot still. I think gives a little more, sometimes a lot more body, in particular. Um, and that's spice note too. Yeah. Character in there, so it's like now lives lives so much more into the into the spirit itself. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, but the stills, uh, and I must also add that we have uh, we did by when we went to the bigger bigger place and when in it into our new distillery that was 2015 and we did buy uh, and we have two of those 900 liters stills there so it's like uh, uh, so we wanted to keep the original spirit still size and shape so that it would keep also for the for the future and uh, and this this was done in purpose All right you want to you were you were growing, but you didn't want to change what was working. Exactly, yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah. Sense. Uh, so, when you were moving to the larger space, was that just in recognition of growing, growing your volumes that you were able to produce? Yeah, that was like a, that was 2015 when we uh, started it. So the decision uh, to make the new investment was done. Uh, was it 2000? 2013 and uh, we we did build up a whole new building and and the whole setup was done um, done again and uh, this is now a little bit outside of the city center so it's like uh, easily to uh, all the trucks and uh, everything is a lot more easier than operating in city center very very earlier and uh, uh, also, something else that we were able to join in uh, at that time was our uh, uh, special energy, uh, what we use for the stilling. Uh, we have uh, over here, we have a lot of wood industry, and the wood from the wood, we have a lot of overflow. There's like these pellets, what you call them. And we use that residue from the wood industry and we heat up. Uh, water or we heat up water that is uh, over 100 degrees and we'll use that one to run our stills so it's like uh, um, how would you want it's like a uh, 
carbon oxide free, I guess you would say. So it's very, uh, it's a lot better than uh, oil or gas. Uh, what was also a possibility, but we decided to invest on the little bit different, a little bit more green way of making the heat to, to run the distills or the distillery. And, and also the brewery is run by that same energy. So, and that was also possible or came possible to do it when, when we were placed on the outside of the city, city uh, area. The newest line from Impex Beverages has arrived. Hakata whiskey is distilled and matured in Fukuoka, Japan by the Hikari Distillery, using 100% barley with a touch of koji fermentation to add savory umami to the pores. Four expressions are currently available. The 10-year, 12-year, 16-year, and 18-year. All are fully matured in first fill and refill Oloroso and PX sherry casks, then bottled at 42% ABV. Each release speaks to a different palate, and each is truly unique. If you love sherry dominance, go for the 10-year. The 12-year adds reminders of red wine sangria and a stone fruit salad. The 16-year lessens the sherry influence a bit to open juicy fruit and bubble tape gum, jelly donuts, taking your thought to the boldest of the bold Australian Cabernet Sauvignons, and offering a demi-glass-like mouthfeel. Finally, the 18-year-old returns to those sherry roots, bolstered by the Australian red sensations from the 16-year and inky black tempranillo wine feelings, imparting black cherry, golden raisins, and dark honey in Lady Grey tea. Each of these expressions brings a different dimension to the sherry, and there is truly one for every palate. Go to impexbev.com slash hakata, that's H-A-K-A-T-A, to find out more, and grab a bottle at your favorite premium whiskey shop today. Hey, whiskey ringers. I hope you've been taking advantage of that podcast-only code for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. They've got around 20 bottlings coming out each month, and there's never a shortage of new things to explore. To take advantage of this podcast-only offer, please go to smwsa.com, that's Scotch Malt Whiskey Society of America, and put in code WRP for Whiskey Ring Podcast at checkout for 25% off your first year subscription. And that was definitely something I wanted to, to ask you about was that sustainability and and the low as you put it the low carbon uh, emissions that you're able to to do there there are a number of distilleries that are trying to do this in different ways whether it's natural gas or or some other uh, low emission fuel um often biofuels like wood are um people want to try them but either they're producing too much so they they can't keep up in terms of demand or uh they're in a place like actually like highland park would not be able to do that because they have no trees on on orkney uh, but in an area where you have such heavy uh heavy woodland industry uh is it also just more practical and less expensive to to use these wood pieces mm-hmm. It's a yeah. It is a if you compare it to uh, oil or gas, it's 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 less as uh, it's it's cheaper. Yeah, it's cheaper. Of course, now all the energy is, is very high. But uh, but when we started, it was a cheaper choice or cheaper solution. Uh, when we decided to do this invest, uh, there was uh, well, I I I did not or 
I, nobody was telling me about sustainability things, anything. I was just doing it because I thought that it's wise thing to do. Later on, we have learned that this it's uh, the, the, the really a good word for using it. It's, it's sustainability and the whole idea inside of sustainability. Of course, there's a lot of things, but uh, this uh, green energy is one of those good things that you want to do for the world. And, uh, and uh, I'm very happy that we made this decision, even though, uh, of course, it's a little bit more riskier to run it uh, because it's more maybe it's a little bit trickier to make it make it make the heat out of the wood pellet but uh, then again mm, uh, my distillers and my uh, operators over there have uh, have good learning capacity so they were able to learn how to run it and they are doing a very good job now and uh, it's, it's very 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 well working very very well we also did some other thing uh, i guess i mentioned it now here we also have, uh, um, nowadays we do our uh, storage or we have our warehouse so that we place our uh, uh, casks into uh, old, uh, uh, un unused or, or unused uh, freezing or freezing containers. They are like isolated containers, but uh, and they earlier were used for, well, traveling when you take all the frozen goods around the world. So these containers are not containers when they are cannot be used anymore for that purposes. We are taking them in and we use them as whiskey maturation containers. So that is also a little bit of an innovation, innovative thing what we have done over here. And it's it's working actually pretty good. Uh, we have a we have really good uh, whiskey coming out of the casks that are holding those containers, and uh, also the angel share uh, seems to be uh, easily maintained. And uh, this angel share is happening, but it's not you are not like uh, losing too much. If if that if if you're gonna lose too much for angels, I don't know, but <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's like in that. Uh, it's, it's a good way to do uh, do the warehousing. At least, at least we have thought out that it's it's a good good thing to do. Absolutely, and uh, uh, part of the video that uh, I watched, one of the videos that I watched, showed those containers. And at first, it looked like um, you know just a, a normal shipping container, which uh, more and more distilleries, smaller distilleries, are using. I can name a couple in the U.S. like Taconic and and Copper and Kings. Um, but it's really a innovative way to use it. It's a lot of the larger warehouses are aluminum sided or metal sided with wood interior, and mm -hmm. the containers are small scale versions of that yeah. metal sided warehouse. And oh, just before I forget, the jumping back to the stills just for a second, uh, yep. you said the the wood is used to heat the water. Uh, for the stills, so the stills are not—they're um, not direct fire; they're um, steam heated. No, uh, actually, it's it's a pressurized water that goes pressurized piping line that brings the water into it. So it's like uh, uh, 120 degrees in Celsius that it circles inside of the still, and it heats up the uh, 
it, no, sorry, not inside of the steel. It's it, it's it's going through a heat exchanger, and also the the worth is is run through by the heat exchanger, and and this this is how the heating happens. Gotcha. Okay, just want to make sure that before I before I move forward. Um, okay, so back to the maturation. Yeah. So, so these uh, former freezing units, refrigeration units. Um, it's some. I'm kind of surprised just because I, I would think with the climate of Finland that you wouldn't necessarily need cooling apparatuses <laughs> like it would be generally just cooler up there so what kind of um what is the climate in which you're aging you mean what is the temperature inside of the container or or more just generally it, in your area of of finland um you know uh, what is the what is the climate like the the temperature humidity those kinds of things yeah we have a um, we have, of course, we have winter, like at the moment we have winter here, uh, but still it's like, uh, I can see it from the, here it's like plus four in Celsius. So it's like, uh, and at this time of the year, it's pretty warm. Normally in uh, February, you might get minus 10, minus 15, which would be pretty normal. And you might get even minus 20, but that would be like maybe one week, maybe not more than two weeks. It's it's always like very short period that you get really, or you might get the heavy, uh, heavy uh, or high uh, or cold weather. Let's put it this way: you get a cold weather, but that would be like one or two weeks in a year. And then mainly it's been like this past winter time. It's been like uh, uh, from plus to up to minus five. So it's between there and. Uh, which me and, and sometimes you get snow, sometimes you get a lot of snow at the once, and then sometimes you sometimes it might take even a really a lot of time before you get the snow. But normally over the Christmas time you have snow in here. It's like it's really, really rare if you don't have snow over the Christmas time. And then the snow will last up till uh, March. And uh, and then the spring starts and uh, and uh, so when we then when we go to summertime, uh, it can be again week or two weeks. It can be quite hot, but that's all. And then it's normally like from plus fifteen Celsius uh, or maybe plus uh, up to plus twenty five or twenty two Celsius. So that's pretty normal summer weather. Of course, we have rain. Yeah, we have quite a lot of rain. But then again, that varies also. But so, that, but it keeps the humidity quite high, and also we have a lot of rain, and this is something that keeps the water rolling around. So we have good water coming from the sky, and it it is uh, of course soaked into the uh, the through the eskers, and we we'll, we are able to pick it up, for, of course, to reuse in the whiskey making also. But but anyway, uh, the thing is that the, the weather is quite it changes quite a bit but uh, uh, and uh, but I must also say that being uh, more than 50 years 55 years of age I do I also do see that the, the winters are getting a little bit warmer I would say 
not every year, but it's it's it is a difference in the winter time at the moment. So uh, uh, I'm 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 truly a climate change believer. So it, it is actually happening. Unfortunately, it's happening. Someone might say that it's good for Finland, uh, but then again, there's a lot of a lot of rain, a lot of moist, a lot of uh, not really nice weather that is coming beside the snow and the cold and the cold weather. So it's that. Uh, just doing, I'm, you know, in my head conversions, so I might be a couple of degrees off, but um, just for American listeners, if if uh, they're not familiar with the Celsius system, uh, so we're talking, you know, between, I mean, if it's negative 20, it's about zero to negative four Celsius, uh, Fahrenheit rather, something about that. Um, so that's really the extreme end on the low side. And then going up to about 25, um, it's a balmy 77 Fahrenheit, which uh, is kind of perfect for me. I love like about 20 Celsius at 65 or so Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. But so we're talking a very temperate um, climate. It's not overly uh, northern, if you will, to use a very general term. So uh, when you're when the whiskey is being aged and matured, um, do you do anything to control the climate or is it just natural climate? You put them in the Put them in the containers and let nature do its thing. In the very beginning, we did so that we did we did not do anything with the containers. We left them to be there just as as it was. Uh, but then we found out later on that uh, when you have a X, uh, let's say you have a used X sherry cask that can have a stave that is like not so. Uh, I would say not, not so thick anymore. Mm. So uh, there was cracking happening. So there were like a breakage happening. And that was, of course, very not very nice. So we did end up doing a little bit of heating system in there so that we keep the... Uh, they will never go less than zero. So they will... Uh, in, in Celsius. So they, they are always like uh, zero or up. And this is something what we what we decided to do after the first years when we did with no heating or anything. Um, when you have the freezing containers like we do, when we have a free, freezing containers over the, or with the isolation in the container, that is a good thing also for the for the rapid change of the weather because this is also something that happens here. You might go let's say from from plus five or plus 10 up to plus 30 like for two days plus 30 and then you go again down so when you have the isolation over there this one will maintain so that the change is not very high so they are very uh, smooth in the in the, in the change so there's no rapid change but there is change which is of course very good for the maturation and it needs to be so that it happens uh, if you have two, uh, well, it's better for the whiskey if you have change in the temperature, but not too rapid te- change. So this is a little bit working for the whiskey, the container, how it is. And then uh, also on, uh, about the humidity uh, inside of the containers, which is, of course, includes for the, uh, for the uh, angel share. So uh, 
they are there's quite the humidity is quite good it's uh, i don't remember now what are the numbers but we have uh, in each condo we have a we have a measurement we have a uh, it's it's uh, on my distiller's head or oh, actually in his phone he can follow it 24 7 what is the what is the heat and what is the humidity in the in the inside of the container but the humidity is in very good shape and it's uh, helping the whiskey also to stay inside of the cask let's put it this way sure sure and yeah the the two that i got to taste were not uh they they you can kind of tell when something has rapid aging or it or is pushed in and out of the wood a little too aggressively it it tastes woody and tannic and um and harsh and neither of the whiskeys that i tried had any of that it was very much a gentle spirit uh certainly that spiciness came through that was first thing that hit my tongue was the spiciness um but beyond that it was yeah there was no evidence of woodiness which i like because i don't like woody whiskeys so um it fit very well for me um let's see the so i i did not have a chance yet to try uh your peated expressions but i do want to ask um you know where do you get the peat and um is that something you you see as part of finished whiskey going forward um well that's oh well the, the peated malt is actually something that is brought from uh uh from Bel either belgium or, or from scotland so mm -hmm. uh, we import the peated malt as it is and uh, that was uh some years ago, more than 10 years ago, uh, the molding plant uh, did the peating here in Lahti, but then they had to change it because uh, they were afraid of contamination for the beer mold, so they they were not willing to do it anymore. So, uh, well, we accepted the thing and we started importing them. Uh, but about answering the question that is the peated mold something that the Finnish whiskey is going to? Um, that is a really a good question. I, 15 years ago, I would have said that, yes, that's definitely the way it's going to go. But now I must say that maybe it's not even that one. Maybe it's maybe it has changed a little bit because, the, as we know, the peat itself covers quite a bit of the whiskey as it is. So it's like an... Uh, uh, you have to be with. You have to be very careful with the peat. At least these days, you have to be very careful not to do uh, harm for your taste palate. What you have inside of the whiskey itself. So, uh, but yeah, good question. And 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 the direction where we are going at. I think we are going a little bit less peated than 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 at the moment. I would say that that's the way it's, it's going to go. But then again. I might be totally wrong. And <laughs> well, you never know, like we've uh, like we've talked about, you know, you're creating the UN distilleries, like you're creating the Finnish whiskey scene, the Finnish whiskey tradition as you go. So if that means Pete, that means Pete. If it doesn't mean Pete, it means you can drop the Pete. And uh, something that I'll have to double check, but I mean, because you have so much woodland, even though there's, there's 
I'm surely Pete in in Finland, it, you're more likely that people used wood as their fuel. You know, Pete ended up getting into Scottish and Irish whiskey because they were using peat as fuel. Um, so it just kind of came on naturally. But if that's not the case, if you're using wood instead, then maybe peat's not the kind of native flavor that you're going to get. Then, uh, when we talk about peat and then we talk about smoke uh, or, or smoked, uh, like we have a really long tradition of smoked fish, smoked mm -hmm. salmon. Uh, this is something what we have done here for ages and ages. So the smokiness in the, in the food product, it's, uh, it's, it's quite common. I would say it's quite common, common thing. And, um, Mm, even our mm, our peated whiskey sabu, uh, it's a the sabu word as a word actually means smoke in Finnish. It's not peat; it's a smoke in Finnish. Right. Yeah, the smokiness is more native, let's say, than um, mm, yeah. That would be something that is more more of a Finnish thing, uh, but. Uh, the, I, I suppose the biggest difficulty would be uh, not getting uh, the right partner to, to do the the, the the peating or the smoking part of the that comes to the mold. So it's like uh, that's the that's the most difficult thing right now, at least for for otherwise than importing it or or, or then of course, uh, but then it would need a little bit groundwork and start find some. Uh, really a smaller molting plant from, from Finland, which can be done, which is possible, but uh, we have not done that search yet. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I will close out with the last question, which is you're, you know, you've moved to a new distillery in 2015. You're clearly growing and creating along the way. What is, what are some of the next things to come from, from Terebelli? Oh, we have, uh, first of all, what we have done now, we have done, uh, we have our second uh, second release of our uh, special, uh, now we have a special wine cask uh, finish, what we are doing. Um, it's an, uh, I remember, I forgot the name now, but uh, it's totally new. It's coming out uh, <laughs> in a couple of months. Uh, we have our 14-year-old bottling coming out, so it's like uh, uh, it is actually sold in our restaurants already. But the 14 years old, uh, what is coming out? It's, mm, to my knowledge, it is actually the oldest uh, bottled whiskey in Scandinavia, or in northern, or in in, uh, in Nordic countries. So uh, this is also a very uh, nice thing. That we are able to release that the, one of the oldest ones that are, is ever done over here. Mm. What else is coming along? Well, I would say that we are we are, we are still in a learning process. We are still really, really learning a lot of things. And 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 uh, like what we have talked here, we have talked a lot about the of the maturation of the cask and of the the raw ingredients and everything. So it's still we are still on learning process and we are still like an um, I, I, I don't want to say that we are searching for certain things but it's like learning and I think the learning will last a lifetime so uh, 
it will take a long time before you are able to make the best whiskey of the world. And uh, even though we have we have the best distiller of the world title, but still the best whiskey of the world is coming. I would say. Sounds good, and I look forward to trying many more products and seeing hopefully uh, more on shelves too. So, Ansi, thank you so much for taking the time today to to chat about Denimbelli, about Finnish whiskey, about history and culture, um, opening the audience to, to a fully new country from which to explore the whiskeys. Um, hang on with me just for a sec after recording to uh, close things out. As always, uh, please uh, listen and subscribe to the Whiskering Podcast on your podcast app of choice. Leave a five-star rating and review. We really appreciate it. Uh, follow us on all the social media. We'll have uh, show notes that where you can find Denabelli's website, social media, uh, places where you can buy as well. And honestly, once again, thank you for coming on. Thank you, David. This was a pleasure. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and click that subscribe, follow, or like button. Leave a rating review on your podcast app of choice, and let me know what you want to hear. You can reach out to me through the podcast apps or email me at david at whiskeymywedderring.com with any suggestions or ideas for new show guests. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash whiskeymywedderring, that's whiskey with an E, for as little as a dollar a month. $5 a month gets you access to bonus content including our soon-to-resume Under the Influencer series, and $25 a month means you join the Barrel Share Club. Each month, Barrel Share Club members get to try products sent to me for review, bottles from my own collection, and sometimes bottles that I just pick up because they're fun or interesting. Right now, only five spots remain in the Barrel Share Club, so grab your place today. Finally, please follow on Instagram. You can follow me at WhiskeyMyWeddingRing or at WhiskeyRingPodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at WhiskeyRing. You can follow on Facebook at Whiskey My Wedding Ring or join the Facebook group, the Whiskey Ringers group. And I hope to see you there. Cheers. Thank you for the support and see you next time.